Blog Talk Radio. Columbia, because that's where Kentucky plays their first NCC uh, 
rope game, playing Steve Spurrier and company. Uh, Scott will call in after South Carolina gets done practicing, so it'll be about 7.30 or so. Uh, he's a cool guy, fun guy. You're going to enjoy him. And we're going to have fun getting a little bit of insight about the Gamecocks and then topping up what we think is going to happen with this battle between Kentucky and South Carolina. Um, but what's been going on in your world, TV? Like you mentioned, we got time to talk about. What's what's popping on your plate? Well, the the big news, well, not really big news, but uh, last Friday, uh, the Browns, we were able to, to head to Lexington to watch the women's soccer team take on Louisville. It's always the first matchup of the season, the first battle of the bluegrass. Uh, it was actually delayed a little bit, well, a lot of bit, because there was lightning in the area, so it didn't start until a little bit after 9. It was supposed to start at 7.30, so probably an hour and a half uh, delay there. And the game did not disappoint. The uh, Lady Cat uh, won 1-0, or 1-0, let me get that right, 1-0, uh, to use soccer right. terms, and it was just a, uh, an outstanding game. Very similar to last year's game. It was 0-0 at the half. And then uh, Coach John Lipschitz and his ladies, they just have a relentless attack, and they just they just kept attacking and finally pushed one uh, across. So uh, that was good. Uh, the men's team lost Louisville uh, last night. Uh, so it's 1-1 for you folks watching the scoreboard between the two schools for this athletic season. And the next matchup will be the, the volleyball match, which I believe is in October. So, uh, But it was fun to go to. Uh, they had a period after the game where uh, the players were signing posters. My girls got some signed autographs and that kind of thing. So very, very nice. Yeah, I got to get up to some of those games. I got to work it out to catch some of that. Um, and you got to holler at Coach Lipschitz again too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got our famous uh, post-game, uh, post-match picture with Coach John and the girls. Because uh, the the remarkable thing is, this is five straight victories for the UK women's soccer program over U of L. That's five straight. So there's two classes that have come through the soccer program and have not lost to Louisville. And the women's basketball team is going to be looking to match that uh, when they play uh, this upcoming season. So those folks that still, for whatever reason, uh, believe that we are just a a basketball, a men's basketball-only school, uh, that is definitely not the case uh, because the women's team, uh, women's soccer team, uh, believe last I saw they were ranked number 13 or 14 in the country, and the men's team before their loss to Louisville was ranked 22nd. So, it's more than just basketball here. That's for sure. Now, when they play volleyball next month, is that in your city of Louisville, which will be a road game for the Cats, or is that in Lexington? <clears throat> I believe that's in Lexington because last year uh, it was in it was at Yum, it was in Louisville, and it was the first time in a while that the Kentucky had beaten Louisville on the road. Uh, what I will say is. Of course, we're all familiar when Coach Cal and Coach Patino, when their teams meet or when they meet on the gridiron for the Governor's Cup. But the Kentucky-Louisville games across all sports, it's intense. 
And I think it goes to what Coach John said when we had him on uh, previously. Those coaches, those players understand this is not just a regular, you know, non-conference game. This is a big deal. The crowds are bigger. The players, it it, it has a different feel to it than just a regular game. So uh, I I hope I'm able to, if my schedule allows it, to to go to the volleyball game because I definitely want to – uh, catch as many uh, Kentucky sports as I can this year. That's that's my goal. Absolutely, that's a good goal to have. Had you been to a volleyball game before? Not since I was in school. I haven't been. Okay. But uh, my my girls uh, have made me promise. Of course, women's soccer. We're going to catch a couple more of those this year, uh, and then volleyball. Uh, I don't think they're quite ready for football just yet. So uh, maybe not football, but uh, women's basketball, men's basketball, you know, that's always a tough ticket to get. So I'm not sure about that, but I definitely want to see gymnastics. They've got that excite night that kind of kicks off their season. It's the big blue madness uh, for the uh, gymnastics ladies. And my youngest is really into that. So we're going to check that out. So I want to see as much as we can, uh, particularly uh, when they play against Louisville, because like I said, those games are the, are really the games you want to catch. Absolutely. Now, with the soccer game being just a one-goal game for the entire game, one goal scored, uh, we had Coach Richards on, and we need to try to get him on again, Well, which maybe during the season might not work. But, uh, but with it just being a one-goal game, was it still exciting? You know how a lot of casual fans want to see scoring, or the first knock you hear is that there's not enough scoring. Uh, was it still an exciting game to take in? Yeah, I used to be part of that crowd that said there's not enough scoring in soccer, but now that I've, I've watched it and I've become, a, become immersed in it and I understand it better, it was very, very exciting because uh, in the second half, like I said, it was 0-0 at halftime. Uh, I want to say that the Kentucky goal came up midway through the, the second half. So what a lot of teams do in that situation is they go strictly defense. You know, they got to go to their four corners offense. They, uh, you know, really clog things up. But that's not the Kentucky – that's not the way Coach John coaches. He keeps attacking. Uh, and sometimes what happens is uh, your opposition is able to, to get some chances. And Louisville had some chances. They had some – some opportunities to score, uh, one shot hit the uh, crossbar at top and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, so it was definitely uh, not a dull moment because with it being 1-0, you know, all you need is that one kind of breakdown and you've got a tie ball game. So it was very uh, it was very intense. That's cool. That's cool that y'all got to be there and – you know, another win over the Cardinals, which that never gets old. And, you know, that kind of stuff crosses my mind when, you know, flipping the channels in the springtime, you know, uh, SEC Network and it's Auburn and Alabama playing baseball. Uh, it's not the Iron Bowl, but you, you still know they want to beat each other. It's, it's not the same, especially from a casual standpoint, outsider standpoint. But you still know it's Auburn, Alabama. Uh, same thing when they play in basketball. Both their basketball teams are, you know, fighting to try to 
get respectable, and Bruce Pearl and Avery Johnson will probably help the causes for both schools, but it's Auburn and Alabama. They still want to, to have some bragging rights. It's not the same as football, but yet the rivalry is a rivalry, and just like you said, UK, U of L is the same no matter what sport it is. It, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's a uh, you know a little over an hour away. We, you know all the dynamics that go into the rivalry, but it, it crosses everything. It, it really does. Uh, the the one thing I, I really uh, like about that game, it was hard fought, but it was but it was a clean game. It, there was no dirty plays and that kind of thing uh, that you would sometimes see in these hyped up rivalries. So I was pretty excited about that. Yeah, that's. That's good to see. And uh, like I said, i got to get up there and take some of that in as well. Um, we definitely got plenty of football to get to. But before we do that, I think we ought to just acknowledge the two Hall of Famers that will be enshrined in the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Mass, Saturday. Uh, Coach Cal going in, but also another Kentucky great, Louis Dampier going in as well. Oh. Uh, Exciting for those two, exciting for the fan base, and you know it's it's good to see you know Kentucky represented at the induction ceremony. It's going to be a fun night, especially for those two gentlemen, but for a lot of people watching as well. Yeah, I've I've got uh, a piece that's going to go up uh, live tonight uh, on Wildcat Blue Nation talking about Cal getting into uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of detractors, but uh, I think sometimes we focus too much on the negative and not all the positive that that he's, he's done in basketball. You know, uh, we kind of point to the, the end at UMass and, and Memphis, but he, he basically he built that UMass program when you, when you look at it. And from the time he was there, you know, to right after he left UMass, I mean, yes, they did make a Final Four, but they were a competitive team throughout his tenure. You know, people talk about that 1996 Kentucky team being the best ever. UMass beat them. And UMass yeah. gave them a game in the Final Four. So uh, he's kind of in the same boat with Patino. Had they not gone to the NBA, you know, their win totals would have been uh, – a whole lot different, but with especially what Cal's built right now at Kentucky, his uh, what are we six or seven years in? Uh, you look at that, and that's a heck of a run. I mean, four Final Fours and a title and a runner-up. That's a that's a pretty good career for a lot of folks. And Cal's done that since he's been in Lexington since, since 2009. Uh, I mean, you look at that, you compare it to Jim Beheim. And he, he's pretty much done Jim Beheim's total, you know, 40-year career in, in nine years. Uh, but with Louis Dampier, the one thing uh, that excites me about that is, you know, he is Kentucky history. And we kind of talk about Kentucky being the best uh, tradition in college basketball, which I think it is. But it was it, it is that way because of guys like Louis Dampier. And, and, and it's not just you know, Coach Rupp and, and you know, it's, it's those players that, that made it what it is. So anytime one of those, as we say, old-timers, uh, anytime they get to uh, be recognized, that's very, very exciting. 
the one thing that really rubs me wrong when people talk about Kentucky basketball is they say, oh, those titles from the 40s and 50s don't count. You know, that was a long time ago. But when you look at other sports, you know, the Yankees still count their World Series from that time. You know, and and every other team that won an NCAA title around the same time, they have banners up for it. So it counts. It's it's part of the history. Uh, And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we kind of discount things that that happened uh, pre-ESPN 24-hour coverage. A lot of great basketball players. So with Louis Dampier being recognized, I, I think that's an exciting thing for Kentucky basketball. Yeah, when you look at the numbers, first of all, what he did at Kentucky, and then when you jump to uh, what he did in the pros uh, with the Kentucky Colonels in the ABA and the Spurs in the ABA, but just look at, at Kentucky first. Uh, and I, I wrote an article back in 2012 right on the eve of Kentucky defeating Kansas to win championship number eight. This from Bleacher Report is the 10 greatest Kentucky Wildcats to not win a title. And, you know, I was remiss to not put Louis Dampier on the list. I had him kind of hovering uh, right outside of it. Uh, I did kind of maybe go a little current and stay in the moment with uh, putting Dodie Meeks on the list. I had a lot of old guys on the list, a lot of older guys before our time on the list. I didn't put Louie. I don't think I put Louie, but I did have Jody on there. But, you know, Dodie deserves it, in my opinion, for being the lone beacon of light in the black hole that was the Billy Gillespie era. So that's what got Jody on there. Plus, she broke Dan Issel's record against Tennessee. But um, Louie, 6'1", 6'1", in the 1,000-point club back in Turkey, 1,575 points. So that's almost 20 a game. We played in 80 games right at 1,600 points. You know, 19 and change per game at UK without a three-point line. But the 409 rebounds, 409 rebounds at six feet tall. He averaged five boards a game from the guard position. That's impressive as well. I mean, that's as impressive as the scoring to go in there among the trees and be good for five rebounds a game. And then when he did go to the ABA, the three-point line was there, which was uh, conducive to his game as a shooter. Um, his three-point percentage, let's see, he's 35, right, 36% uh, from 67 to 76. And he was, let me scroll down. You know, pointing right at 19 a game again as a pro. So, I mean, he was consistent from his years at Kentucky all the way to his final year until he retired at age 34 in 1979. So, I mean, he was underrated. He's before our time. Uh, they talk about him being kind of quiet, but his game did a lot of talking for a long time. Well, yeah, and he's a, he's a two-time consensus All-American. That's that's pretty darn good, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think, and in, in, I've talked about this before, the 66 team, you know, the team that did lose to Texas Western, I think that they they get a bad rap. 
you know, when you look at Glory Road, that movie, and, and people talking about it, uh, I understand, you know, the, the uh, all-black starting five that Texas Western had. I understand the uh, cultural significance. But the game itself was just college kids versus college kids. You know, uh, Louis Dampier, Pat Rowley, those guys, they weren't trying to make it more than it was. And I think sometimes they get a bad rap just because of the, the optics of of the game. Uh, but that was a very, very good Kentucky team. Uh, that's just as simple as that. And I think they sometimes get overlooked in history uh, just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, just the, the atmosphere of the time made it, unfortunately, what it was for both teams. Mm-hmm. Both teams just out there trying to play ball. And, you know, that was the case even back in the day. I think it was the Duke guys that were sneaking and playing ball back in the 30s and 40s of the integrated games. You know, people's ignorance made that was that era what it was on every side, you know. Players just wanted to play. And that's always yeah, the case. And, uh, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but my dad would tell stories about Paul Horning. Heisman Trophy winner uh, from Louisville, won the Heisman at Notre Dame, how he would come to the segregated part of town, him and some of his friends, and they would play pickup football and basketball with my dad and his friends. So I I think we kind of get this mindset of how things were. But, you know, basically kids, for the most part, they just want to play. They want to play against the best. If that means they've got to sneak across town, then then they just do it. It's, It's Again, I don't want to go off on a tangent on that, but like I said, yeah. when people think about the 66 uh, Kentucky team, but, you know, of course they think about that game, but uh, anytime you are an NCAA runner-up, you're a pretty good ball club. And oh, yeah. I think they have to be in that discussion of, you know, best team, you know, best runners-up. If you want to take a look at it like that, uh, you know, they did the school proud, so – Definitely is going to be an exciting time for uh, Kentucky fans to check out the uh, Hall of Fame ceremonies. I'm excited to see what Coach Cal is going to say. Uh, I yeah. think, in in my mind, I think this is probably where we're going to see him at his most honest. You know, what, uh-huh. whatever that means, I think we're going to see him really open up. You know, usually when he's talking, he's got an angle. And I understand that some people, that's what they don't like about him. But for me, I understand. He may, you know, you ask him a question, he's going to say what he wants to say. And he may be sending a message to a player. He may be sending a message to a coach. He may be sending a message to whoever. But I think when his speech time comes up, I think we're really going to see kind of the true cow uh, uh, when, he, when he's got to give up and, uh, and, and give his speech. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the the series that that Mike DeCourcy did, kind of leading up to it, a, a prelude to it, uh, kind of said the same thing that you know uh, the media would just have to listen, no matter if those who would try to take shots or whatever. Everybody would just kind of he would have the last word, you know, this half hour, however long his speech is. Everybody would just have to listen. And I did put Louie in my top ten. Thank goodness. I was going to be a huge omission. I was going to kick myself. I got him fourth. So I had a, I just got scared thinking I had left him off of that list. I didn't mean to just go sideways and shipwreck the conversation, but I had to check that. But I did put Louie on the list. 
But I feel better. <laughs> I feel a lot better. He's in my top five catch that did not win a title. Whew, I was getting scared right there, T B. <laughs> well, and that and that's something to keep in mind is, you know, we're kind of sitting here with Cal with these top ten teams and yada, yada, yada. But uh, sometimes your great players or your greatest players don't always win a championship. It's, it's weird yeah. like that. And mm-hmm. my whole thing is with, uh, with Kentucky fans is if we start getting into the championship or bust mentality, then we yeah. discount a lot of great guys. You know, are you going to tell me that uh, Jamal Mashburn is not a real wildcat because he didn't win a title? <laughs> yeah. Or Dan Issel? Are, are you Rick. are you going to tell me that? You know that Louis uh-huh. Dampier, you know, isn't a real wildcat? Is, is that what you're telling me? Uh, so uh, I, I just don't. I never want to get into that mindset that it's championship or bust. You know, some people. Yeah. You know, this past year, again, we're all saddened, but I'm not disappointed in 38 and 1. I mean, it is kind of is what it is, but it, I never want to be championship or bust because, like I said, it, it really kind of discounts those guys that have done a lot uh, for the program. It's absolutely. I mean, you know, Rick Chapman, Kenny Walker, I mean, you know, a, a lot of guys, you know. Um, and I mean, then, you Chuck, know, Wall and Cousins in 2010, you know, most re- even more recent. Yeah, great great team, but got snake bit in the tournament. That, that happened. Uh, yeah. You know, the NCAA tournament is uh, heading into uh, 80 years. Uh, they've been playing, playing since 39. We've only won it eight times. That's a lot, but yeah. that's not every year. And and getting into this mindset of of championship or bust. Hey, I mean that that's just I don't I don't like that at all. And of all the teams to play, I mean only Kentucky and UCLA have a ten percent share of the pie. I mentioned the eighty years going on eighty years of uh, NCAA. Championships, nobody else can say that. So I mean, you know, you got uh, Indiana might have five, or Duke has five, you know, but Kentucky has a firm ten percent, as well as UCLA. So uh, that is a lot because there's been a lot of people, a lot of participants trying to get that power over the years. It and the the thing that I always point out when people talk about. Kentucky basketball is we have won across all all different uh, time frames of college basketball. It, it, it's not like we only won, you know, all those titles with Rupp, but we haven't done anything since. You know, a lot of people uh, kind of talk about you know Cal putting Kentucky on the map. No, we've been on the map. We've won. In segregation, we won, you know, in in the seventies with the afros and the short shorts. We won in the nineties. You know, we won with the one and done. No matter how you do it, if, and if you look at the NCAA rule book, record book, uh, 
only one program has been in the top ten wins since the 1930s, and that's Kentucky. Every decade, Kentucky wins. You know, even when we look back at the last couple years of Tubby and, and, and Billy G, were they bad by Kentucky standards? Absolutely. But were they bad yeah. overall? Not that, not really. You know, people forget, you know, we kind of talk about Tubby and, and kind of dismiss, but, yeah, he won the national championship, but also he won a lot of SEC hardware. You know, yeah. we were running him out of town for things that every other team would be given the coach bonuses for. But that's that's kind yeah. of what we have here in, Le- in Lexington. And, I mean, Tubby still won, well, I can pull it up, 70-some percent of his game uh, at, at the very least. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, he got the nickname, Tim Lost Tubby and all that, but he was still well over 70% uh, winning percentage. I mean, you know, Gillespie was, I think, 27 and 22. So, I mean, you know, 578, 580, roughly. He was over 500, as dreadful as he was. You know, he had a winning record. Now, we, you know, that, that didn't cut it, but, you know, he wasn't, you know, 13 and 36. You know, I'm not trying to give him credit, but he did. He did as bad as he was. He still managed to be above 500. Right, and we haven't hit rock bottom. You know, North Carolina with that one year with Matt Dordery, they only had 13 wins, I think, that one year. So we've thankfully never hit that rock bottom like a lot of programs. Uh, But one thing, it's consistency. You you don't do that without. Uh, consistency in, in investing into the program and, you know, being able to say, hey, Billy G is not working. You don't, you know, he doesn't get another year. It's time to move, head a different direction. And you have to, you have to do that and you have to hit on a home run. So uh, Kentucky basketball has been very fortunate that although coaches have come and gone, players have come and gone, uh, really that winning attitude and, and environment has been there. Uh, about a month or so ago, CBS Sports had that poll about the best job in college basketball. They polled a bunch of coaches, you know, anonymously, of course, and Kentucky's on top. And when you look at Kentucky and North Carolina, basically the rule is this. If you are lucky enough to get one of those two jobs and you stay more than five years, you win an NCAA title. It's a given. And it's been yeah. that way for 70 years, and it's been that way Kentucky through multiple coaches. You know, you give us five years, you'll get a title on your resume. I, that is yeah. insane. Insane yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for and, a program to be that consistently good. And I sold... I saw Tubby and Billy Gillespie short. Billy Gillespie's forty and twenty seven, so that's a, a five ninety seven winning percentage. So in his two years he was it was on average of twenty and thirteen. Um and Tubby, two sixty three and eighty three, so a seven sixty winning percentage. I knew he was seventy five or something in there, so he's actually won seventy six percent of his game. Billy almost sixty percent of his in his two years. Um so there's that. And one more thing, too, and we'll, then we'll catch a quick little break and then talk a little Kentucky football. You talked about how, you know, 
people or fans or teams that don't have championships from the old days want teams and fans that do have championships from the old days to discount theirs. You can't tell me that Louisville wouldn't take those four championships from 48, 49, 51, and 58, and they would holler that they got seven in a heartbeat. You can't say that North Carolina wouldn't take those four. You can't say that Kansas wouldn't take those four. You know, anybody would take those four. So that's, you know, don't, you know, they were playing for championships back then. Your school had a chance to win it. They didn't. So let's, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. <laughs> and, and, yeah, it, we did not play ourselves. Kentucky did not. It wasn't a inter-squad scrimmage to win right. those championships. They still count. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Tennessee would take four championship banners in Thompson Bowling right now and, and proudly say they're four-time basketball champions. So, you know, that argument has never held water. We as Kentucky football fans, I mean, Alabama says they have eight. Sometimes they say they have 13. They got some, you know, mythical championships floating around. But Kentucky, we would take two or three of them and, and put them up in the ring of honor at Commonwealth Stadium in a heartbeat. We can't say that we wouldn't. So, you know, others shouldn't try to have, you know, say, oh, don't count those because they're from, you know, back in before the, you know, segregation, before integration, before the shot clock, before, you know, don't don't even try that. So, uh that's once again me stepping pretty close to a soapbox. Maybe I was up on it for a minute. But uh we'll take us a quick little break and catch our breath, talk about games Kentucky played against Louisiana Lafayette and we'll look ahead to a little bit of South Carolina and we'll do it again more with Scott Hood. But we'll take a quick break, listen to Cat's Talk with Benny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Cat Talk, Kenny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. He is Terry Brown, wonderful Terry Brown. I am Vinny Hardy. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Hope everybody's Wednesday evening is going well. The number to call us is 845-277-9373. Tweet us at Cats Talk Wednesday. Facebook page, Cats Talk Wednesday. If you got questions, comments, whatever you want to do, hit us up there if you'd like. Feel free. We'll talk a little Kentucky football here in a second. First of all, though, i got to um, just let everybody know that I sent you some, um, some quote-unquote hate mail the other day. Um, I told you I was going to send you some truckloads of hate mail, and you got that hate mail, and included in that is a, a few little business cards for our show. So what do you think about that? Uh, I know you got them and, and been checking them out. What are your thoughts on on the business cards? By very show, very nice. You uh, you kind of got them. Uh, you didn't let me know what was coming, so I've I've been passing them out. My girls are excited. They're very very slick looking, so we are very excited about that. Hey, this print. Hey, that was the way to go. I've seen and heard other people kind of talk about it, so I went on there and. They were to pick a color and just put what I wanted to say. Next time, I think I might put the time of the show on the back, you know, Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Of course, I'm telling everybody that as I hand them the card. But, you know, in case they want to read it and reference it again in the future. Uh, I gave my dad a big old bunch because he was he was about to go and and have some cards made. He said, I'm going to get y'all some cards made. I said, hang on, hang on. I'm, I, I'm, I'm working on it. He said, all right, then, okay. And when you get them, let me have some, so I'll pass them out. Um, have you been to the barber shop yet? I want to know if, if the card is made it to the barber shop, where I know you hang out with a lot of Louisville fans, and you know how the barber shop is anyway. That's what I'm anxious to hear about. I, I have not. My my time has been crazy with school, and we've had stuff on the, the weekends. I end up having to, having to shave my head uh, last Uh-oh. week. I have not had a chance to, to go. Yeah, to, yeah. So I had to, I had to do that. Uh, but hopefully, I'm hoping that uh, hopefully this weekend I'll have a chance to, to pop in there and and, and, and show off the hardware a little bit. And unlike me, you were shaving your head just because you felt like it because your hair would grow back. I'm at the point where that's all I can do with mine. Thank you very much, Dad and Granddad. <laughs> Still got a full head of hair. So, uh, this is you. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I, I just gave it for convenience. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our good friend, Tina Cox, still has some of the cards. So, she is distributing them in the Danville, Boyle County area. And she said they look great, and she is more than happy to, to pass them out for us as well. So thanks again to Tina, and uh, appreciate her doing that for us. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I'll be going, uh, doing the Missouri game here in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited about uh, uh, passing some out to some of those folks. So very, very exciting. We, we look real deal uh, right now. So, very excited. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was 
all trying to go for. So hopefully everybody that receives them will think the same thing and got all the information on them so they can check us out at their convenience on the podcast or a live show such as this one, whatever they want to do. Um, Kentucky got the win Saturday uh, against Louisiana Lafayette. What were your thoughts, your things that you like, things that concerned you? Uh, 40 to 33, uh, grounded out after jumping on them, you know, early. So your observations, wonderful, Terry Brown. Well, the first observation is the revamped Commonwealth Stadium looks fantastic. Uh, I was able to get a kind of a sneak preview on Friday when I went up to the women's soccer game because the L Complex is right there, uh, real close to Commonwealth Stadium. So it looks fantastic. Uh, Can't wait to go inside and check that out. Uh, We saw the good. We saw the bad. Uh, The the thing, I I think a lot of people didn't want to be overly negative yeah, they came back. Uh, uh, Lafayette did, but the, the Cats looked better. Uh, there's there's the vertical passing game. I personally would have liked to have seen uh, a little bit more run game, particularly in the second half. Uh, the deep passes worked. I think we need to work on that intermediate passing game. You know, for years and years, Kentucky fans have bemoan those little bubble screens and those quick outs. But I think that you need those kind of drive extenders. And what happened was uh, the offense, uh, they weren't able to sustain drives in the second half, and the defense got tired. The defense is young. You know, the defense was missing uh, players as well. So uh, I, I think that's a good sign. The The best sign for me is, you know, maybe last year, year before, through or, or most of Kentucky's history, that's a game they end up losing. You know, we talked about that game with Florida, uh, with Jared Lorenz, and they were up 21-3 heading to the fourth quarter, one turnover pick six, and that was all she wrote. Well, the, the team, they never got down on themselves. You know, the defense made plays and they had to make them, and so did the offense. The bottom line is they got a W. Uh, Lafayette is not the cupcake that uh, a lot of people think. It's a non-win team. They they've gone bowling. They, you know, it's a competent squad, and I think there's a lot of positives to uh, to pull away from that game. Uh, Patrick Tolles, I think, did a an okay job, but he's got to be a lot more accurate. Uh, hanging around the 50% completion. That's not going to get it done against high-quality uh, SEC opponents that we're going to face, you know, starting on uh, Saturday. So there's a lot of things to build on, and uh, I'm excited. I am encouraged. I, I didn't really see a whole lot to be discouraged about uh, when you understand the situation of the game. Uh, I would like to have seen a game where we would have won by a little bit more, but hey, a W is a W. You you win in advance. That's the that's the bottom line. And to me, that'll kind of be the theme Saturday. And we'll, I'm gonna ask you know Scott Hood that as well, because South Carolina was kind of 
a win is a win. We'll take it with their win over North Carolina, Kentucky. Ended up being in that situation after being up 33 to 10 and seeing that lead go all the way away and then, you know, getting the final winning score at the end when Horton got the touchdown. A win is a win. We'll take it. Got some things to clean up defensively. Um, And I kind of likened it to with it was so easy for them to go over the top. You know, Lafayette was singling up, playing man coverage. Uh, The receivers were getting behind them, getting steps on them, and they hit some of those for some big plays. They also missed quite a few of them, told overthrew guys, underthrew guys. To me, and uh, I tweeted Larry Balk and Anthony White the same thing. It was like uh, a basketball player falling in love with the jumper. You know, he, he, he's a versatile guy. He's, he can do it all. He can get to the rim. He can drive. He can flash. Shoot. But it's like he got just, just fell in love with settling for jumpers, settling for jumpers, settling for jumpers. Instead of taking it to the rim, instead of attacking uh, or being aggressive, uh, it's, it's like they hit so many, it's like they wanted to keep trying them because they were able to have some success quite often uh, instead of still kind of mixing it up and hitting them with the run. Or, like you said, the intermediate stuff when Lafayette dropped off and, and tried to keep things in front of them a little bit. Um, so that's, that's stuff that we'll see going forward. If they uh, improve, like I said, with, with Cole's accuracy, uh, let's see if he can hit some of those intermediate passes, you know, across the middle, things like that. Um, defensively, they got gashed on some runs when Lafayette was coming back. Uh, that'll be helped if the offense does sustain drive. Of course, the first play of the game, boom, I mean, you can't have it was a quick strike, so that gets the defense back on the field quickly. Uh, as well as big scoring plays get the defense right back on the field so they're not, you know, resting much because the drives were happening quickly for the offense. But, you know, they do have to shore up some things on the defensive side, giving up those big runs. It wasn't really McGuire. It was the other guy that came in and started kind of gashing them with some big runs. And the one little concern, it was a third and long when Lafayette was driving, uh, and you want to see the defense get out the field. J.D. Uh, Harmon uh, was able to force a fumble, which saved at least a field goal or a possible touchdown for Lafayette. Uh, it was like a third and 12. The downside was that he was beaten on the play. It was great also to recover. But you want to see the stop in that situation. So, you know, hopefully that won't happen a little bit more often to where you don't see the third and long, oh, they got us right where they want us, which is kind of, you know, we've seen that for years and years. And I mean, a lot of teams have seen that for years and years. At Tennessee, third and long, when Chavis was there, they called it third and Chavis because they knew the other team was going to convert. So hopefully, well, we can see some stops. And once again, great hustle by J.D. Harmon because he was beaten for a first down and they were knocking at the door uh, again for getting points, but he's able to force a fumble and get a key turnover for Kentucky. And and, and that's what the defense is going to have to create some turnovers. And, yeah. and now uh, the defensive backs back there with Stamps in particular, 
uh, we've got guys that can that, and and that's what we have to do. I know it sounds simple because that's what everybody needs to do, but our <laughs> margin of error is so thin that we can't lose. We definitely cannot lose the turnover battle. And those third and longs, the defense has to get off the field. My one area concern, or another area concern, is defensively those those fourth downs. Fourth down, you got to get off the field. I mean, you you got to do what you can to to get the ball back to your offense. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, team is looking for that first SEC win of the season, looking to win two straight against the old ball coach, uh, looking to. Uh, went on the road for the first time in uh, forever. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely, uh, there's a lot at stake for uh, for the Cats. If they want to take yeah. that step forward and, and, and move out of the basement, they've, they've got to go. And uh, at this point, we're, we're past. Uh, the point where we can say, oh, you know, just, you know, just a good showing. You know, they've, they've got to win. You know, this is the the time they've got to go and win. And South Carolina did not look great uh, in their victory over North Carolina. So the opportunity, as I was kind of thinking before the season, the opportunity is going to be there uh, for them to uh, hopefully get a W. I know that's that's wishful thinking when you look at you know Kentucky history, but uh, I'm not in that. This is the same old Kentucky bandwagon. I, I don't think that's fair uh, to these guys, uh, the coaches or the players. This is a different. This is a different era, and I'm I'm willing to uh, to get on that that uh, bandwagon. Absolutely. Now, you know you. You heard a lot of Drew Barker talk. Uh, we both agree that, that Patrick Toll has got to be better than, you know, 47, 48%, you know, 16 to 34, um, you know, 257 yards. And, this, I mean, they put up 40 points. Uh, he threw for three touchdowns. But, uh, you know, those over those uh, overthrows and underthrows would have helped his percentage somewhat. The, the intermediate throws would have helped his percentage. But there was a lot of Drew Barker talk after this one game. Is were you surprised by that? Because to me I don't I don't see why we're hollering for Barker this loud this early. I didn't I didn't get that. I saw a lot of folks say uh that even during the game, uh that hey you know, now's the time to uh, – I, I can't remember who tweeted it out, uh, but someone said, you know, you know, had Kentucky been up, had we been able to, you know, score another touchdown, you know, and keep the gap fairly wide where we see some, some Drew Parker. I got no problem with that. But uh, when you look at what Tolls did last year, and, you know, my mind goes back to, you know, that Louisville game, he played incredibly well. And so my thing is after one game, uh, I, I think it's a little quick to, to get the hook because right now he's actually got weapons. 
you know, we've got receivers that can make plays. So, you know, he, he, there, there's a learning curve there. So now with uh, a game under his belt, he can sit down with the Oh, you there, TV? Oh, we lost TV. But we were talking about clamoring, somewhat uh, excessive clamoring that we heard for Drew Barker uh, right after the first game, even before the game was over. Uh, get get Drew Barker in there for Patrick Tolles. Um I don't think the the cry should be that loud for Drew Barker this early. We wait for TV to hop back on the line. Uh, he had a little phone issue, kind of like I did last week. We'll see see what he says. Or maybe he just hung up with a finger hit the dial like like I did. But had the game remained thirty three to ten, it was out of hand. Uh, it was a big time blowout as, as TV is back with us now. Uh oh, you trying to hang up like I did last week, TV? Yeah, you know how it is. <laughs> you know, this technology—it's new to me. So, <laughs> yeah, I was just keeping up with the theme, like uh, how I don't don't think it's right to be hollering this loud for Drew Barker this soon. Now, had the game continued the way. We thought it would, you know, 33 to 10. You're blowing them out, and you get to where you can really kind of call off the dogs because it is over, not calling things off or, or letting you fill up the gas in the middle portion of the game. But had um, had the things been able to remain as they were, and, you know, there's four or five minutes left, and it's, you know, 40 to 13 or something like that, then, you know, give Barker a series, let him jump out there and hand off, maybe throw a pass or two. But the way the game went, it just didn't dictate or, or allow for you to, to roll Barker out there uh, with the game getting tight again and going to the wire, which nobody saw coming. Right, and I think if you if you yank – uh, if you yank tolls, then I, I think there's a chance you lose them for the season. You know, the, my whole thing is you've got to give him a chance to win the game for you. That's what you want your quarterback to do. You know, if 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 they pull him for Barker and Barker doesn't get it done and Kentucky loses that game, now you've got two quarterbacks shaking psyches that you've got to try to nurse. You know, at yeah. least tolls can say as poor as I, you know, I missed, I missed some throws, but even still, we were able to fight back and win. That's a confidence booster. You know, this whole thing it just reminds me of, you know, the most popular guy on the football team is the backup quarterback. You know, yeah. your, your starter, unless you've got, you know, uh, an all-time great, you know, it's always the backup quarterback. You know, what can the other guy do? Uh, you know, it could be a situation where it's a, like Ohio State where they've got two or three guys they know can play high-level uh, quarter, college quarterbacks. But <laughs> give Tolls an opportunity to go out, play through some adversity, you know, uh, and, and, and win you some ball games. 
I mean, you know, you, you come out and after the competition, which the common thought was he was going to win the job even before it was announced, you announced that he's the guy, what, two weeks ago, two weeks before the season starts? It was it was several days before the season that, you know, the announcement was made that Patrick Toll was the guy. And to just drop him like he's hot, you know, 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes into the first game of the season, I mean, wow, that would be – Something else. I mean, you know, Spurrier didn't even do that, even when he was doing his thing with two quarterbacks in Florida. I mean, it wasn't like he announced one and then did that, I don't think. He just played two from the jump. But Stoops did not say he was playing two from the jump. Well, and, and what people, I think, fail to realize that, you know, you prepare all week with your starter. You know, you he knows the playbook, what you're going to try to do. And when you go to a backup quarterback, most of the time, you've got to narrow your play call in. We saw that uh, Ohio State, Virginia Tech, when Virginia Tech had to go to their backup quarterback, and, you know, the playbook gets narrowed. Uh, Louisville, in their loss to Auburn, uh, fortunately, you know, their freshman guy comes in and, and, and puts on a show, but the play calling, you know, you become a little bit more limited because uh, the backup quarterback hasn't gone through the reps that your your starter does. So my thing is, you know, you got to start. It wasn't panic time, and that would have been a panic move was to to go to Barker at that point. Now, if if Kentucky is two and one, three and one, and, and Tolls is still looking as as shaky uh, as he did, then I think maybe you start looking at do you go to Barker. Uh, but what I would love to see in South Carolina is you've, you've got Boone Williams, JoJo Kemp, and you got Horton. Pound that rock. Pound it. I think that, that Dawson kind of got in love with those big plays, like you were saying, because they were relatively easy to get. But you've you got to pound that rock. We have an advantage with three guys. We've, seen, we've now seen all three of those guys make spectacular plays. You know, Boo Williams, you know, from the 75-yarder on Saturday to all his, you know, kind of highlights last year, JoJo Kemp, who willed us to victory over South Carolina last year, uh, and, and Horton with his play. with You've got three backs that are confident. You've got an offensive line that is that is a veteran offensive line that is ready. Pound the rock a little bit. Wear on these guys. Uh, number one, you know, you extend drives. Number two, uh, you help out your defense a lot. You don't keep your defense on the field for that long. So uh, those are my takeaways from the game. I'm I'm not ready to get off the the Stoops bandwagon. 1-0, we will take that uh, in Lexington. Definitely. We sure will. Um, And the weather may dictate – Running the ball, uh, good chance for some good rain in Columbia, some thunderstorms, some some showers. So that may, you know, alter the the plan passing attack that they want to do. 
So that might mean heavy doses of, of Boom and JoJo and, and Horton and a little Fahim King maybe mixed in. Uh, it might mean that they're forced to kind of pound the rock. Uh, if it's rainy and slick down there at South Carolina when, when it's game time. Uh, so we shall yeah, see. And, and I'm an old school guy. I know that everybody likes the wide receiver sets and going up and down the field, but sometimes I think the, the best way to, to really secure that victory is if you just get your offensive line and just say, we are going to pound the football. You pass it on the defense, and then you just you can take their will. You know, you pound on them, and then, boop, you go over the top. That's what I'd like to see uh, the offense do, and we've got the tools to do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to talking with, with Scott Hood, getting his take, too. Uh, South Carolina, they bend a lot but didn't break. I guess they might describe it as opportunistic. They got uh, several interceptions at the goal line in the end zone. North Carolina left a lot of points on the table, gained a lot of yards. Uh, so I'm going to want to kind of ask him about that and get his thoughts on that here in a few minutes as well. Uh, but back to Barker and Coles real quick. It, is, is this going to play itself kind of like Tyler Eulis for Andrew Harrison last year? We keep hearing Coles play could, could squash it, you know, or it could fan the flames. We'll know on a weekly basis, but there might be that minority or that vocal murmuring uh, Barker for told no matter what, kind of like we can't always heard Tyler Eulis for Andrew, Tyler, Tyler, Tyler for Andrew. Uh, it might be a similar situation. Uh, you know, that's, that's a, a very good analogy, and I think that's what we might see. Particularly, even if we're two and one, three and one, or what have you, the team's winning, but he's not looking great. If Tolls is not looking great, then people are going to wonder, you know, what can, you know, what can uh, Barker do? You know, even if uh, Tolls that we win against South Carolina, pick up some other big wins, there's going to be that murmuring. But my thing is, Tolls after what he went through last year, obviously the coaching staff, by naming him the starter, they've got faith in what he can do. And I, I don't see Stoops making that move unless it just becomes egregious and, and told, you know, isn't getting it done. But if he's one of these quote-unquote game managers, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, people talk about uh, uh, Trent Dilfer, uh, when he won the Super Bowl with the Ravens and even Brad Johnson with the Buccaneers, you know, call them game managers, but you call them champions. You know, you you, you don't need guys that, that that make bad plays, you know, that turn it over a lot. And if Tolls can hit those uh, intermediate and, and just, you know, we're not asking him to throw 400, t- 400 yards a game. But if he plays, and I hate to get all cliche, in himself, and he's the best he can be, I, I think we'll be fine. Uh, Freddie Maggard on, on KSR and, and tweeting out, you know, looking at the film uh, a couple of inches here or there, and, you know, the Cats put up 50, 50 points, you know, uh, you know, hitting people in stride and making some connections. So I don't think 
uh, tolls is as far bad as people think. Uh, just a couple of more throws, and, and and boom, it's a totally different conversation. Yes, that that whole game of inches, like Freddie's been talking about, that's for sure. Um, we'll definitely continue the Kentucky South Carolina discussion, um, but the NFL is is jumping off tomorrow. Well, Patriots and Steelers. Patriots in the news again. We'll squeeze a little bit of that in. I think I'm going to have an article up on cameramills.com. I'm going to have to write about it a little bit. But your Niners, my Cowboys, just a prediction win-loss for the upcoming season because I think you guys played a Viking Monday, the late game on Monday. I'm going to try to stay up and catch a few peeps of it. Uh, the Cowboys opened Sunday night at home against the Giants. Uh, what do you think? You had a tumultuous off season. Uh, I know your your heart bleeds that red and gold, or whatever the colors y'all wear, garnet and gold. I don't I don't know the proper term. <laughs> Crimson and gold. But what do you think they will end up doing? Coach Tom Sula, uh, Kaepernick, Alvin Smith no longer there. Justin Smith retired. You had guys leave. You had guys retire. Um, when it's all said and done and week one finally gets here because of all the moving and shaking and changes, what do you think happens? Where do you Niners finish up win-loss-wise? Uh, I really think that uh, they're they're going to finish 6-10. Uh, and ten. Mm. You know, with my heart, With my heart, I want to believe that they can – do better than that, but I think if you look at any one of the the issues that happened this off season, it would be a lot coach leaving to losing long time players. Uh, but all of it mixed in together, I think it's too much for uh, for them to overcome. Uh, a lot of it's going to depend on on Kaepernick and his maturation. Uh, is he the guy that we all you know, we thought he was with that uh, Super Bowl run. Is he going to be able to do that uh, consistently? Uh, but I, I just think there's just too much going on. Uh, I just don't see him, uh, especially having to play the Seahawks twice. And uh, I think the Cardinals have gotten better in the off season. The Rams have never been an easy game uh, for the Niners, so that's just in the in their division. So. I don't see them being – I hope I'm wrong and pleasantly surprised, but I think 6-10. and 10, And I've been talking to some other fans, and what I've been saying all summer is we don't know. <laughs> you know, we, we usually you kind of have an idea what your team is going to be about before the season, but we really don't know. So I'm hoping if I say 6-10, and 10, they may surprise me and, and, and make that run uh, to the playoffs. Yeah, I'm gonna, and it'll be interesting to see where they end up. And and it's hard not to see a lot of optimism for all the reasons you said for San Francisco. I'm gonna be a little more, a little more optimistic for uh, my Cowboys going 12 and four last year. I'm gonna. 
say, 11-5 and five this year. They kind of get off to a good start, a little turbulence in the middle, and then I think the schedule will kind of help them out a little bit towards the end. Starting off with the Giants, I think that's a win, and then it's at Philly for the first matchup with DeMarco Murray. It's up there, and I think they'll drop that. But uh, Falcons and Saints and Patriots, I think they end up going 3-1. and one. After they play the Eagles, they'll beat the Falcons and the Saints. Got them losing to the Patriots, losing to the rematch with the Giants. I got them helping your Seahawks out in week eight. Um, but through the first eight games, I got them 4-4. Four and, four. Four and, four. and then they got both the Buccaneers and Dolphins and Panthers and you know, Washington twice on that back end of that schedule. Uh, will kind of make things a little easier for them, and they'll they'll finish strong. They got a loss in the Packers coming. It's at Green Bay. That's a loss in Week 14. But Jets and Bills and Redskins and Panthers and Dolphins, teams like that. Uh, and I mean, the Dolphins are better, uh, which that could be a, a L. But the back end of the schedule, I think, will help them. And I, I got them finishing up at 11 and five. Uh, and you have you have to sweep the Redskins this year with all the drama they got going on. Kirk Cousins, RG3 stuff, you know, even in the year Jimmy Johnson went 1-15, he did not get swept by the Redskins. That one win came against the hated Redskins. So, you know, uh, a year or two ago, Colt McCoy went to Dallas and won, and it was perfect storybook. Texas kid goes in and plays his favorite team as a child and beats them, and I saw it coming a mile away. I just knew he would come in and have a good game. He did. This year you got to just take those two wins from the Redskins because they got too many issues, and you can't allow yourself to just drop games to the hapless Redskins. But 11-5 for me, your Super Bowl, you got two teams you think will go to the Super Bowl. Of course, this is just so early, and you never know, but I'm going, I'm going yeah. Seahawks over Ravens. What I'm going with Seahawks and the Ravens. Yes, I, I think the Seahawks, uh, simply because they have not uh, lost a lot. Uh, I think it's one of those things that you know you're the champ until somebody knocks you out. So uh, I, I think, as much as it pains me, I think the Seahawks can get back uh, to the Super Bowl. Uh, the AFC is kind of wide open. Uh, the, the Patriots going to be playing with that chip on their shoulder, and we kind of saw what they did the last time uh, with Spygate. Uh, so I don't know who would who would knock them off. I think the Ravens are a pretty good uh, choice, but I think we get a Super Bowl rematch. Just kind of looking mm-hmm. early, early on without uh, uh, you know without you know, of course, there will be injuries and that kind of thing to shape the season down the road. That's very, very possible. Um, as far as Seattle, I, I think it's just, you know, that that window is still there. They're still young enough. They're still talented enough to get back there again. Uh, they're getting a lot of guys wanting new contracts, and that's it's going to be a lot more of that after this season. They locked Russell Wilson up, but there's you know, some defensive guys. Chancellor, who was just new into a contract with one another one during the summer. Uh, so that's going to be 
stuff that they're going to have to deal with as a front office. Uh, and, of course, that ultimately breaks teams up. Uh, but we'll see how it all plays out. Um, I'm glad the trade for Christine Michael happened because once they picked up Fred Jackson, they traded Christine Michael to the Cowboys and the Dallas needs some running backs because I don't see McFadden staying healthy. And, and Christine Michael gives them a little bit of power, as you know, being a 49ers fan. So it's, I was happy right. to see that move. But, it, you know, the NFL is back. It's going to be exciting. Uh, you know, I'm still going to watch the game and be into it, even though I don't anticipate my 49ers having that great of a season. Uh, but you kind of touched on this earlier with the Patriots, uh, with the just explosive uh, allegations in the ESPN piece that, that came out uh, yesterday. And just wow. I mean, if and here's the thing. ESPN's kind of whiffed on some stuff lately. So they've got to have all their ducks in a row on this piece on the Patriots. Because uh, if this stuff turns out to be true, it's a huge, not even an asterisk, it's just a huge black cloud on what uh, the Patriots have been able to accomplish under Bill Belichick.
Oh, my bad. I had the phone muted. You there, TB? I'm here. All right, I hit the mute button, my fault. Um, but welcome to Cast Talk. Welcome back to Cast Talk with and Terry. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. I hit the mute button on the phone, and then there's a mute button on the screen. I didn't unmute it on the phone, so I was just talking away, and nobody heard a word. That whole tree falling in the forest thing. I'm going to shift gears real quick to, to music because we'll talk music, we'll talk food, we'll talk everything on the show, as the regular listeners know. And before you hop off, I'm going to get your opinion real quick. Um, you know, you don't listen to Dwayne like too much. He's like an R&B neo-soul singer. He can sound old. He can sound new. Uh, I think he's underrated. I think he's really good. He's from Detroit, so he knows that old school stuff. Um, if he ever comes to a city close by, you know, my wife and I would like to see him in concert. But uh, just real smooth, real good singer. He on Instagram put out the other day the thing for debate, a conversation he was having. He tweeted it out on Instagram, and he tweeted out four artists. If you had to do without one of these artists, pretend one of these artists never existed which one would you pick? If you had to just delete a career, wipe it out like it never happened, and it was the conversation they were talking about, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Prince, Michael Jackson. If you had to pick one that never existed, which one would you pick? That's a that's like what what limb do you want to cut off? That's a pretty... <laughs> Uh, I mean, because cause they all brought so much that I mean that is just a uh, a who's who, and, and they all kind of they're all intertwined. Uh, yeah, especially Marvin and and Stevie and then Michael with the with with Motown. You know, they they're all intertwined there, and, and Prince is Prince, and 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 Prince is Prince is that dude. I mean, every time I watch one of those award shows, which you know I watch a lot. Uh, particularly music yeah. award shows, and it's like Prince could just walk out there, grab a guitar, and he could blow whoever's on stage. You could just blow him away just by being Prince. I mean, he's 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 that guy. And uh, of course, uh, you know, I'm a long time Michael Jackson uh, fan. And then uh, Stevie, uh, I, I think his catalog is is, is underrated. Uh, for what he brings to the table, you know, blind or not, as Bo Bonnie Jones likes to say, Stevie ain't blind. But uh, <laughs> then Marvin, uh, he's got he's got love songs, he's got party songs, he's got I'm gonna make you think about songs. Uh, man, I, I, I'm gonna abstain from that. I I couldn't pick one to to go away because that's that's a a quartet of some heavy hitters right there. Yeah, and that's why I had to. That's why I had to just ask you real quick. I saw that tweet the other day, and I was like, I'm just gonna bring that into the show real quick. Uh, I'm gonna DM you a link to Dwayne's music. Maybe you can holler, it, you know, hit him or something, and you get a fresh, free second. But I just kind of had to do it from the standpoint of. The old guys, like in basketball, I don't, I don't, I hate seeing the old guys get forgotten. Even though I didn't see them play, 
you know, I hate seeing, you know, Jerry West kind of get pushed to the side now when you mention the great two guards because Jordan in the all-time starting lineup, so everybody's going to put Jordan there. Um, and then a little bit, Dr. Day's going to get pushed on because at small forwards you got Bird and LeBron or, you know, that kind of thing. So I kind of lumped them in the two groups of two, and I said that Marvin and Stevie, in my opinion, were untouchable. Now, like you said, this is this is hard no matter how you slice it. It's like cutting off limbs. Marvin and Stevie were just untouchable. Uh, you know, Stevie's song in the key of life. Don't you worry about a thing. Marvin, sexual healing, let's get it on. All the stuff he did with Tammy Terrell when he was a young dude. So that boiled it down to me as disrespectful as it is to put it between Prince and Michael Jackson. And, I mean, I was like, do I, do I flip a coin? You know, what do I do? And, I mean, Michael's stuff as a little dude with Jackson 5, uh, a young Mike when he went solo off the wall, PYT, all of that. So I kind of, I, I lean towards Prince. My favorite Prince song is Raspberry Beret. My least favorite decade, just because I was too little to appreciate it, is the 80s. You know, if I was born in 67 instead of 77, I would love the 80s because I would have been a teenager. And, that you know, just like the 90s are to us now, the 80s would have been that way had I been born 10 years sooner. So I had to, if, you know, having to pick, if a gun's to my head, I would have to pick lean towards Prince, if that makes any sense. But I just had to throw that your way because I know you like music the way I like music. And that was just a really heck of a hard, interesting question that he threw out there. Yeah, that's, that, that's four heavy hitters. Uh, I, I think, and I'm a, I'm a bigger fan as, as, of, of Michael as any of the four, but he would be the one you'd kind of have to say did not have as, as, as long of a solo career, long of a run. You know, Prince is still making very, very good music, and he's been doing that since the early 80s. Uh, yeah. Mike kind of got into his sideshow, not talking about the allegations, but just his bizarre personal life anyway, and and, and that kind of trumped the music toward the end. So, uh, But if I I really don't want to have to pay. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's why that was – that's the fun of it. That's the agony of it. Um but speaking of fun, we're going to have a little fun because our, our guest is on the line. He covers the South Carolina Gamecocks for GamecockCentral.com. He is coming to us from Columbia, South Carolina. He doesn't know me or you from Adam, but he's been gracious enough to hop on and spend a little time with us and preview this game between Kentucky and South Carolina. He is none other than Scott Hood from GamecockCentral.com. Scott, you're on the line with Vinny and Terry on Cat Talk. How you doing tonight, sir? Great to be with you guys. Having a good night so far. Hey, good deal, man. Appreciate you joining us. Um, straight from the practice field down in there. So uh, what's the vibe down there uh, this coming week after South Carolina before Kentucky? What's the mindset and all of that in Columbia right now? Well, obviously they're coming off a win, which is uh, they were pretty happy about that. It was a, it was a touch-and-go game. Uh, last Thursday up in Charlotte, 
Uh, Could have gone either way. Uh, the Gamecocks finally got the running game going late, scored on the long touchdown run by Sean Carson, and, and, and sort of eked out a win. Um, even though you look at some of the stats and probably uh, North Carolina, some people look at the stats and say North Carolina deserved to win the game, and maybe they did. But but in the end, South Carolina made made fewer mistakes in crunch time, and they dominated time of possession and dominated the ball in the fourth quarter and ended up winning the game. So so right now the vibes are pretty good. You know, Seaspur was, was pretty happy after the game. Um, it was a game that some people thought they, they may or may not win. And, uh, um, you know, so right now they're 1-0, and now they've got the now – now it's the SEC opener this weekend against Kentucky at the williams Price Stadium. And then I think everyone here in Columbia all remembers what happened last year up there at the up there in Lexington at Commonwealth Stadium when South Carolina blew a uh, twice blew a two touchdown lead in the fourth quarter and uh, couldn't hold it. And Kentucky scored the last 21 points and ended up winning the game. So um, I, everyone here is, is looking to looking to uh, get revenge for that game and uh, and, and beat the uh, beat the I think the last time Kentucky won here in Columbia was 1999. So it's been a long time since the Wildcats uh, won here in, in Columbia. So I think this year's Gamecocks looking to c- keep that streak going. When we did our um... You know, we did our game-by-game predictions, as, you know, everybody does through the summer, you know, just to to debate and kick around. Uh, This is the game I had Kentucky dropping just because it's the first road game in the conference. You got last year fresh on, you know, South Carolina's mind. Um, And it's going to be – it's going to be a hornet's nest, and I just – I just didn't think they're going to be ready for the hornet's nest that they're going into uh, in the first game. I still got Kentucky having a good season and, and uh, improving and getting that elusive bowl bid that eluded them last year after, you know, losing the final six. But it's just going to be – and if they had lost to South Carolina, I mean, if South Carolina had lost to North Carolina, I mean, it would have been insane. Uh, both teams to me are kind of in – we won, we'll take it, let's move on, mode because Kentucky had the same situation with Louisiana Lafayette. You know, if they had a big lead, right. uh, let it get away and had it grinded out at the end. And, you know, South Carolina, like you said, 17-13, I watched some of the first part of it. Was it defensively the Gamecocks was kind of opportunistic? Because I heard Spurrier talking about how many yards South Carolina gave up, and most teams' opponents don't just score 13 points when they get that many yards. Well, there were two factors that led to South Carolina winning that game. Number one, they were able to run the ball. They had 200-plus yards rushing, including the key play of the game, of course, was Sean Carson's 48-yard touchdown run. But the second aspect of the game that saved the Gamecock was their red zone defense. Uh, The North Carolina quarterback threw two picks in the end zone, uh, both of them by Sky Moore, who was uh, slowly – really not slowly, but he has become one of the top – uh, top really linebackers in the SEC uh, over, over the last uh, year or two. He's now a junior. He had a very good freshman year. Didn't possibly didn't do as well last year, but uh, he's he's off to certainly off to a fantastic start this year with ten tackles and and two picks. And um, the, the and South Carolina really won that game because because a because of Sean Cross's long TD run and number two they stopped uh, North Carolina in the red zone inside the 10-yard line, held them to no points on two occasions with two interceptions by Sky Moore. So, really, that was the uh, those really the, the, really the takeaways uh, from that game. So, you know, certainly, as you remember, guys, the Gamecocks really struggled on defense last year. Uh, they had virtually no pass rush. The defensive line had a horrible year in the in the year after after Clowney left. Um, 
there was simply nothing left in left in the tank. Um, there was not there was not much talent. They just really struggled in that aspect. And and they had a very young secondary, um, and they couldn't stop the run. So you had you had those three things together. No pass rush, can't stop the run, young secondary, and guess what, guys? You all know that that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, that's the way it turned out on defense for the Gamecocks. They had a tough year. Seasbury uh, brought in John Hoke from the NFL, who, who was a defensive coordinator down in Florida his last uh, three years in Gainesville uh, when he was there. And uh, so he knows John Hoke well. Uh, finally brought him here, and uh, he sort of installed a 4-3, a little more simple defense, um, which is sort of the trend around the country now. I heard a lot of these coaches now talking about simplifying things on defense and getting less complex. I think that's they want players uh, reacting more and, and not instead of uh, – Instead of thinking too much on the field, and so I think I think South Carolina sort of sort of fallen into that trend then, brought in bringing in John Hoke and just very very simple four three type scheme with with with, with some other sub sub packages as well too. But they're really keeping it simple so the guys can play fast and and react on the field. And I think that certainly that paid dividends uh, in that first game. I think the defense played a lot better. The pass rush was there. They had four sacks, including a cu- including a couple by Kelsey Griffin, who was a virtual non-entity last year, uh, but he did pretty well. Darius English had got a sack. He didn't do do much at all last year. So the defensive line played a lot better. Um, and they and they and, and Sky Moore sort of baited the North Carolina quarterback into two into two picks in the end zone. That's the reason why the Gamecocks won the game. Absolutely. We're talking with Scott Hood of GamecockCentral.com. What is the the verdict or maybe how Steve Spurrier feels behind the scenes about Connor Mitch? He made his first start. Uh, as he was walking off the field, you know, he kind of blamed himself for calling a bad game. Uh, he was 9 to 222 yards, one TD. Uh, what is the outlook or how is, how is the old ball, the head ball coach feeling about Connor after his first start? Yeah, I think he did. Uh, no, he told us on Sunday in his teleconference and Monday and then Tuesday again in his press conference that he thought Connor Mitch did okay. Um, but I think one thing you'll probably see, they'll, I think they'll now do on offense what they've done on defense on the John Hall Cup. I think they're going to simplify things. I think Spurrier told us uh, yesterday at his press conference that he thought there's too many formations, too many plays. And so I think that maybe they'll, they'll short things up a little bit and simplify things. Uh, have him less less checking at the line of scrimmage possibly. And as you know, you know Spurrier's system uh, puts a, puts a lot of responsibility on the quarterback to recognize defenses and to and to check into a better play at the line of scrimmage. Well, they may do they, they may do a little bit less of that this week against Kentucky, especially against an SEC caliber defense, and um, there's a little bit was a little more quicker than certain than, than Mitch's has Mitch's a used to. Um, but I thought for a first game for a first career start. Um, I thought I did okay. In fact, we just got the practice field, as you mentioned, and we talked to uh, Jay Mangus, the quarterback's coach, and, and he was he was fairly pleased the way for the way Connor Mitch played for a first time out. Now, are they expecting improvement on Saturday night? Uh, absolutely. Being a home game, you won't have to deal with the you deal with the friendly confines, with the crowds cheering for you, and uh, the whole bit. So I'm, they're expecting Connor Mitch to put up uh, better numbers and perform a little bit better uh, on Saturday with a, maybe with a little bit a little bit simpler a uh, little bit simpler packages uh, and a little simpler game plan. And I noticed, of course, that uh, probably the first game jitters. It, it took Mitch a little bit to get his first yep. completion. Uh, he had a little right. a little pass to the tight end there. They put Farrell Cooper under center a little bit for a change of pace to yep. kind of mix things up. Is that a staple? Uh, I know you def- they definitely want to get him the ball any way possible, but I'm sure that's right. a, a, a pretty much a lock in the offense going forward to see a, a good dose of Cooper under center too. Or didn't shot down. No, right? no, I, 
No doubt about it. I think you'll see Farrell Cooper and Shaw come just about every game this year. Um, as you mentioned, they want to get him the ball, uh, to put the ball in his hands as many times as possible. That's the reason why Farrell Cooper is still returning punts, even though it's a, that's a pretty dangerous dangerous uh, <laughs> undertaking there, the risk getting injured. But but as I think Steve Spurrier mentioned a couple times in the preseason, right now they're they're just trying to figure out ways to get the ball into Farrell Cooper's hands. And uh, when when he does, he's pretty electric, as, as, as people saw on Thursday who had not seen him play before. So uh, whether it's catching passes, quarterbacking, punt returns, just running the ball out of the backfield, you know, fly sweeps, whatever whatever they want to do, they certainly want to get get the ball into Ferro Cooper's hands as many times as possible in that game. Now, he only caught three passes on Saturday, excuse me, last Thursday. So um, that's probably a low number for him. Now, he, he did score a touchdown. Um, but I think they're looking for him to probably catch six to eight passes a game, maybe run the Wildcat uh, five to five to eight times, and catch a couple of punts. So they want to get get him the ball in his hands, maybe fifteen to twenty times a game. I know defensively uh, in the first game they're better than you know they trended last year. Um, of course, the the four hundred forty yards, Spurrier wasn't too happy about that. The thirteen points he was cool with. Uh, what concerns them more in the yardage department, even though they didn't get a lot of points, the, the running yards or the passing yards? Um, definitely the running yards because uh, the SEC, as you know, is a, is a run-first league, regardless of what people say. And uh, if you stop the run, you can have pretty good success in the SEC. So if they can get that running part uh, squared away, I think, and make Kentucky one-dimensional – on, on Saturday night, I think South Carolina defense will, will be in good shape. But uh, but Kentucky's got a lot, Kentucky's got some weapons on on offense. You know they have remember that JoJo Kemp ran wild on the Gamecocks in the fourth quarter last year. And uh, Patrick Coles is a pretty good uh, is a pretty good quarterback. I was impressed with him the way he performed in last year's game. So and he, he's got some good players, he's got some weapons around him. They got a pretty good. They got like, two seniors on the left side of the offensive line. You like certainly as an offensive coach, you'd like to see that. At least so they got some experience there. So Kentucky's a dangerous team. I know that, I know it's been a long time since they won a SEC road game. I think I think I read today it's like 22 straight games they've lost on the road in the SEC. So uh, so I know it's been a while since they since they won in in an enemy stadium in the SEC. But uh, certainly the Kentucky team that's coming here to Williams-Price on Saturday night is certainly very capable of knocking off the Gamecocks uh, and, and beating them here. Certainly based on what we saw the two of the last three years up there at Commonwealth Stadium. Yeah, yeah, and and when I swapped emails with you about saying about you coming on the show, I mean I know there there may be more matchups in the future, but this is kind of the round three between Mark Stoops and Steve Spurrier. It's one to one, right? Both right. both times it's been a touchdown game. His first year down at Williams Bryce, thirty five twenty eight in year one, right. and that was a two and ten team that right. you know rallied and kind of put a scare in everybody down there. And then, of course, the 45-38 game you referenced last year. So, you know, you, you boil it down. It's 73-73, one game apiece. Um, you mentioned in your piece on, on GamecockCentral.com uh, that, that Steve Springer kind of likes Mark Stoops. Of course, Stoops is wary and, and observant and cognizant of the fact that Kentucky has some struggles on the road. But – the, the fact that, that Spurrier likes Stoops, that kind of saves him from, from taking a few shots at him like he does other coaches? Yeah, because uh, Steve Spurrier is very close to the Stoops family. Remember, Bob Stoops was Spurrier's defensive coordinator at Florida during the national championship year. 
And of course, you know, Bob Stoops parlayed that into the Oklahoma head coaching job, and he's, and he's still there. And, uh, and, and Steve Spurrier Jr. Uh, coached at Arizona for one year under uh, Mike Stoops. Well, Mike Stoops was the head coach out there in Tucson. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the Spurrier family and the Stoops family are, are very close. Um, so yeah, I, you're not going to see Steve Spurrier taking any shots at uh, at Mark Stoops. Maybe not not sort of like he does perhaps does with, with some other coaches. So um, oh yeah, I mean I think he really respects the Stoops family for what they've accomplished, all of them as coaches, and and certainly certainly Mark Stoops uh, was deserving of the head. You know, he did a great job at Florida State with their defense. Did a great job at Arizona with their defense, and I think he was ready to become a head coach. And I think. I think, the, and I think the, the one thing that he's brought to the Kentucky program, and I think probably the main reason why he was hired, was the fact that he could, with, with all his family's Ohio connections, he could go into the state of Ohio with with there's a whole lot of football talent and, and recruit some of those kids and come and to tell them, hey, come down and play in the SEC. You know, Ohio State really is really the dominant program in that state, as you know, and but they only sign 25 guys a year. So and there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot more talent, a lot more talent beyond that. So so certainly Stoops can tell a kid, hey, why go to, why go to Toledo or, uh, or, or Bowling Green or Youngstown State or wherever some of these, all these one of these other MAC schools, whatever, come down to Kentucky and uh, play and uh, and and play in the SEC. And, and so far, I think that strategy's working. I think, I think in two or three years, especially with all these now these stadium renovations now that have, that are done in Lexington. The whole the hundred million dollar plus project they did to basically do a do a I think they called it reimagining of Commonwealth Stadium. Uh, they were in the process yeah. of doing of, of doing that last year when when we were there. We saw all the we saw the construction in process. But one understand it's it's a, it's a pretty beautiful facility now, and they're building a new window, I think. So once they get the facilities in place, which look, which are certainly they're well underway doing that. Um, I think uh, Stoops is going to start recruiting the kids that it takes to win consistently in the SEC, sort of from Ohio and other places. So, um, so I, I would be worried. I, I think Kentucky's a rising program in the SEC, and uh, because of that, because they get the ability. Because I think previous coaches there, Joker Phillips included, I think spent too much time recruiting in Florida, trying to compete down there, recruiting third and fourth tier kids, rather than recruiting kids up in, up in that area that's maybe closer to Kentucky. And, uh, but I think Mark Stoops realizes that Ohio is a real is a virtual gold mine of high school talent, and he's going to mine that. And I think in, I think in that way he's going to uh, he's going to lead the uh, the revival of the Kentucky football program. Yes, and that's what your fans have wanted to see. Like you mentioned, the commitment with putting funds into facilities and the novel idea to. Uh, to go north, being the, the northernmost SEC school has its perks from that standpoint. Uh, Cincinnati has tons of talent. It's just an hour up the road. So, uh, right. you know, it's, it's a very good concept. You know, Indianapolis isn't far away. So, it's, it is kind of a – Kentucky isn't, isn't any longer just kind of being lumped down in the bottom of the east with Vanderbilt, which has been the case for years. I mean, right. pretty much right. my whole life through the 90s as a teenager growing up. I said we had a Javon Hay, former Vanderbilt D lineman, on the show a few weeks ago, and in the '90s, I told him I was like, man, if we had, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have his defense, have him his offense, you just merge Kentucky and Vanderbilt, you had a solid entity squad. Because <laughs> right, both yeah. teams struggle to fill competent rosters across the board. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've always but, I've uh, always submitted I've always submitted that had had Hal Mummy. 
lasted longer at Kentucky. Obviously, there were some problems there with, the, with some of like, some recruiting stuff going on. I know they had Mike Leach there for a year, a couple of years there as right. offensive coordinator. Um, but I think I had Hal Mummy stay clean and, and kept and, and kept his nose clean and and brought in the players. I I think maybe the nineteen the two thousands would have been a little more kinder uh, to to Kentucky. And I think maybe they, they might be a little bit further along. Um, as a football program than they are now, but certainly I think Mark Stoops is, is I think was I think was the perfect choice to lead that program because of his Ohio connections, and again I think that's probably the, one of the major reasons why he was hired because of those Ohio connections, and I think I think I think that's smart because you're talking about I mean, Ohio's in Kentucky border states, the kids don't have to go very far from home. Like you said, Cincinnati's only an hour away. A lot of high school talent. We got Mola High School there in Cincinnati, the high school powerhouse, and other yeah. high school pro- programs there in Cincinnati that, that produce a lot of talent. And like I said, Ohio State can only sign twenty-five guys a year, so uh, they can't right. go all. They can't all go to. They can't all go to Ohio State. So uh, yeah. I, I think it's smart to say, "Hey, come down to Kentucky and play in the SEC." And I think a lot of those kids are right now. And I think I said, I, "You give Mark Stoops a couple more years to get to, to really be there for one full recruiting cycle, four years." And I think uh, I think Kentucky will, will really get the ball rolling. Absolutely. How long have you covered South Carolina football, Scott? I had been uh, covering since 2005. I was, I was, uh, I came on board shortly after Spurrier was hired. So I've, I've okay. covered every game that uh, that Spurrier has coached here at South Carolina and uh, Hall Man Road. So I've been at every press conference. So I've, I've, uh, um, uh, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of seen a lot of Steve Spurrier over the last 11 years. And <laughs> covered basketball and covered uh, a lot of baseball too. I've had the fortune of covering you know, two national championship baseball teams as well too. Been out to Omaha three times for the College World Series, so it's been it's been a fun journey. Definitely, definitely. And I'm I'm I mean, with Spurrier and and Frank Martin, I was thinking those might are those the two as a duo. Is that the most personality as far as sideline manners mannerisms of maybe any school in the country? Yeah, it might be. You know, certainly, uh, certainly uh, when you have Steve Spurrier and Frank Martin here together. Uh, there's certainly no shortage of quotes, that's for sure. So both those guys are both those guys are pretty pretty uh, uh, very quotable, so to speak. Let's, let's put it that way. Yes, and no doubt. And uh, so it's, it's been fun. It's certainly uh, we and and I think the men's basketball program here is starting to rise too. You know, certainly not certainly they're they're still two or three levels below where Kentucky is right now. But but I think Martin is finally bringing is bringing in his players. Um, you know, he, he wants he plays a tough physical defensive style, half court type style, and he's finally bringing in. His first year was pretty much a throwaway because he, he had the he had the, the the leftovers from the from the Darren Horn regime, and they really didn't fit his style very well. So uh, I think he's going to his fourth year now. So it's and in fact, even Frank will tell you it's pretty much go time now for the Gamecock men's basketball program. I think I think people here are very excited. Um, about the, the way they, they finished strong last year, won a couple games in the SEC tournament uh, with a young, very young team with all freshmen and sophomores. So, but now they're all sophomores and juniors this year, and they got some, they got some, some they got some all SEC caliber type players with Cinderius Thornwell and some other kids. Kids. So, um, I think the, the men's basketball program is is, um, is is trending upward as well too, just like Kentucky football is. And I'm looking for them. I think that this year, I think the expectation should be at minimum be make the NIT. And if not, then certain. If not, if they don't slip into the uh, into the NCAA tournament as a as a low seed, now I'm not sure they're going to compete for the SEC championship, especially with uh, teams like still like Kentucky around. But uh, but certainly, 
I think they can compete for that number, maybe four, five, or six team in the SEC and maybe slip in the NCAA tournament. Definitely. And I've always liked Frank from afar at Kansas State, and now yeah. I think it's good for the SEC that, that he's part of the conference. And then he's one of those coaches that will increase the quality of the basketball. you got Bruce Pearl and Avery Johnson in the West, and, and right. overall the, the conference is going to be on the upswing. It's been knocked and ridiculed for a few years now, but these coaches are going to bring up the level of play across the board. Well, well, I think it's because Kentucky, I think, has raised the bar for everybody. I think uh, John Calipari, the last what, three, four years, they've been in the Final Four a bunch, bunch of times, won a national title. And I think it's just the fact that the other schools in the SEC just trying to, just trying to play, uh, just trying to keep up with with Kentucky. And as a result, yeah. um, it's raised the it's, it's raised the bar for everybody else. And, and I think all the other teams in the, in the league realized, hey, if we don't make a commitment to basketball. Uh, we're going to fall further and further behind. So that's why you see Rick Barnes and Ben Howell and, yeah. and Frank Martin yeah. and 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 and, uh, and uh, several of the other coaches around. Yes, these schools now are willing to pay the big salaries now to bring in these big name coaches. Let's face it. Let's face it, guys. All the schools have the money now. The SEC, the SEC network is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, these schools just are all making what made about thirty million dollars in distribution from the league offices past year. At football, tennis is booming. Uh, TV ratings are booming, and um, so uh, all the schools are making a ton of money. So they can so they can they can afford to bring in these big name coaches, and as a result, I think you're going to see the quality of basketball is going just going to improve every year in the league. Absolutely, and Scott, I live outside of Knoxville. Scott, born and raised in Kentucky, and, and covered Kentucky, and our show is you know UK themed, and then we talk other stuff. But I I got to hear you. Being on the new Central Sports Center, Vince Ferrara and those sports animal guys, right. that's where I'd always hear you, uh, you know, previewing South Carolina and UT games. Right. And um, Vince would have you on with, with John Adams. And, and I always tweet in, your your Northeast accent and, and John Adams' Louisiana accent, I love hearing both of you guys chat <laughs> when you're on there, man. <laughs> yeah, Are you it, from it, New it, York? It is, certainly... is it New York? You from yeah, New from York, New England. Like, I, 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 yeah, I grew up in New England. And uh, oh yeah, okay. so I moved down to South Carolina. I moved down to South Carolina in 1994, and I've been down here. Okay. So I've been down here for 20 for 21 plus years now. So it's been fun. I, I enjoy the weather. I enjoy the, the football, and uh, I got tired of shoveling snow, so I came south and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I hooked up with Gamecock Central in, in 2005. I, actually, I started writing for Gamecock Central before 2005, but uh, when they I became full time in 05, what they hired Spurrier. So it's been a fun ride. Okay. And, uh, and I'm certainly looking forward to this game on Saturday night and and uh, looking forward to many more years covering the Gamecocks. Absolutely. One more question before I let you go. I'm a big food fan, so we'll talk food on the show as well. Columbia, for whatever reason, it's, it's never a destination. I'm always driving through, you know, going to Myrtle Beach or going to Savannah. we got family right. down there, so I'm, I'm never just stopped in Columbia proper to do something. But when I do... I got to go ahead and ask you about the Blue Marlin. I'm a, I want to eat there. Is it overrated? Is it great? Is it bad? I, I saw a little documentary on it. Uh, right. So what, let me get your take on it. No, the, the Blue Marlin is very good. I would say if you're going to come through Columbia and, and you want to go to a restaurant, the, probably the, the two most famous restaurants here are the Blue Marlin and uh, Polly's Front Porch, which has been featured on Food Network as well, too. So the, the Polly's Front Porch is down in five points. Uh, with, okay. with a bunch of fine restaurants down there, so yeah, and whereas Blue Mile is, is in the Vista area, right about a block or two from the State House, 
and but Polly's. Okay. Those are probably the two. Either one of those restaurants, uh, you you could do well. Now Polly's Front Porch specializes in sort of these exotic type burgers, whereas Blue Mountain specializes in seafood and and, and southern cuisine. So, um, either one of those you can you can do pretty well. Hey, that sounds good to me. God, I appreciate you hopping on and, and giving us insight on the Gamecocks and talking a little food. We're looking forward to the game Saturday. If the weather does what it says, it might be a lot of running the ball by both teams, right? Yeah, right now the weather forecast is uh, thunderstorms, and I think it's about a 50 to 60% chance of rain right now. So it might be uh, might be a good night to run the football based on the weather forecast right now. But obviously, as you know, those things can change. So we'll see we'll yeah. see how the weather is. But right now the forecast is, is not encouraging, but we'll see what happens over the next yeah. uh, 24, 48 hours. Now, now, did you grow up a Patriots fan? I know you're from the area, and I'm, they're in the news. Are, are you a fan, or do you not care about the Patriots at all, or is it hurting your heart well, to I'm, more allegations? Actually, actually, I have uh, a lot of friends and family in Baltimore, so right now I, I'll classify myself as a Baltimore Ravens fan. Okay, there you go. There you go. That's my pick out of the AFC to go to the Super Bowl. I, I'm going Seahawks and Ravens for the championship in the Super Bowl. That's my there you pick. go. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, I've, be been, I've, been, I've, I've been there many Ravens games over the years at the stadium down there, so I enjoy. I always try to go down at least once a year. I got, I got a buddy of mine who was a, who was a Ravens uh, season ticket holder, and I always go to one game a year. So always, oh, that's always a fun experience. Sounds good. Scott, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for hopping on the show with us tonight, sir. Great. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. Scott Hood of GamecockCentral.com, giving us a little bit of insight on the South Carolina Gamecocks, Kentucky's SEC opening opponent at Williams-Brice Stadium in Columbia, South Carolina. So um, hope the Cats put on a good show, uh, hit those intermediate passes, shore up the run game just a tad, and uh, we've seen Kentucky almost win down there before, and like we said, like I'm talking to Scott, in Mark Stoops' first year, his 2-10 and ten year, he gave South Carolina all he wanted on the road in 2013. 35-28 game, gave them all they wanted and then some, and then we saw what happened last year, uh, knocking them off 45-38 in Commonwealth Stadium. So, uh, Look forward to the game Saturday night. Appreciate Scott Hood for hopping on with us. <clears throat> I got to make a quick correction uh, from last week. I kept referring to C.J. Johnson as an O-lineman. He's on the defensive line. He was suspended last week. Having him back will help. Of course, Jason Hadrick won't be back until the Florida game, so not this Saturday, but the next Saturday. Um, look forward to him bolstering the defense a little bit more as well. Um, going to get to the Louisville Cardinals again. We'll do that next week with Terry. We talked about Louisville uh, from the rivalry standpoint um, with Coach Lipschitz beating Louisville again. We talked about Louisville there, but we did not get to the Louisville Cardinals uniforms that they rolled out Saturday against Auburn. Uh, we're going to bring that up next week, talk with Terry about that. Um, everybody had thoughts on it. We got thoughts on it. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, we'll have Terry back next week 
he is grinding, as we mentioned a few weeks ago. He's going to school. He's going to be a teacher. Uh, so he's doing some school stuff. Had to hop off a little bit early, but we appreciate Keithy bringing it like he always does. Wonderful. Terry Brown. Keith Brown underscore 80 on Twitter. So we'll talk about Louisville's uniforms this time next week uh, because they made, they made a statement and people noticed. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Patriots and Steelers tomorrow, NFL kicks off. Um, there'll be action on the field, but once again, the Patriots are in the news dominating uh, for all their shady ways. Uh, they continue to just push the envelope plumb off the table. So, if this ESPN report is true, man, it's going to be something else. We appreciate everybody listening. Uh, if you missed anything tonight, check the podcast blogtalkradio.com slash cats talk c-a-t-s-t-a-l-k hope you enjoyed the show thank you much for tuning in Uh, we'll see you all this time next week next Wednesday 6 to 8 we'll be right here we'll of course talk about Kentucky and South Carolina Uh, see how the dust settles on that it'll be fun looking at that and then we'll look ahead to Florida and season is rolling along We'll have NFL games to talk about. We had a Cowboys did, my Cowboys, Terry's 49ers. If you want to tweet and hit us about what your team did, feel free. But once again, we enjoyed the show. We enjoyed having you listening. Appreciate everybody. Everybody have a good evening. We'll see you next Wednesday. You've been listening to Cat Talk with Ben Terry on the Brown and Hart Network. Blogtalk.com. Good night, everybody.